Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. Conservative Party of Canada, Member of Parliament, and Party Leadership Candidate Dr. Kelly Leach uh, congratulated American voters. Tonight, our American cousins threw out the elites and elected Donald Trump as their next president. Words in a constituent-directed email. It's an exciting message and one that needs we need to deliver in Canada as well, end quote. Uh, Dr. Leach insists, as Prime Minister, she would impose a national plan to screen immigrants, refugees, and now also visitors to Canada for Canadian values. She joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Dr. Leach, good to talk to you again. Well, thanks for having me, Roy. What happened at your house? Oh, well, um, I... Uh I had a, uh, a threat uh, on Friday evening, and then uh, and then my home was broken into. But you know, look, don't be worrying about me. Uh, I uh, we're taking the appropriate measures in that. And uh, look, if uh, if people have a difference in opinion than me, um, that's okay. But I won't be backing down. I'm uh, I'm staying focused on uh, the issues that Canadians are uh, are talking about. That can- Canadians are concerned about, and and as you mentioned earlier. That's about screening for Canadian values at the border and making sure people have face-to-face interviews. But I appreciate you asking, but uh, but I'm well, not you know, gonna, when, when, I'm not going to be backing down. Well, I, I don't imagine that you will be, but when people are running for public office, to then be threatened because you're suggesting a policy, if you were to be elected, that so far crosses the line. And I, I read something about your uh, one of your caucus colleagues who's also running for the leadership, Deepak O'Brien, who says he's been getting emails from people telling him to go back where he came from, and uh, he says that backlash has started since he opposed your Canadian values screening proposal. So let's let's talk a little bit. Uh, you and I discussed uh, in a preliminary way what you're planning to do if you become prime minister of this country. What can you tell us specifically about what the Canadian values screening would consist of? Well, I think first and foremost, we need to be providing face-to-face interviews for every person immigrating to Canada before they receive uh, permanent re- residency. You know, currently only one in 10 individuals receives a face-to-face interview. And and that's, uh, that's concerning. I think that every individual that immigrates to Canada should have a face-to-face interview. They should be screened for Canadian values. And, and we know that this is something that's being looked at already that's important. Uh, the Senate Standing Committee on National Security and Defense has made this recommendation uh, that the, uh, the Canadian government move forward on this. And I uh, had the good fortune of also talking with uh, an individual who had written a book called Points of Entry, and the professor was very clear that uh, we need to be doing more face-to-face interviews. People are frustrated that they can't. Immigration officers have basically been pushed to meet quotas now, um, just paper-pushing. And uh, for myself, the number one item will be that every person entering this country will receive a face-to-face interview interview, and we will be screening for Canadian values. Uh, Dr. Leach, you, you mentioned the professor, Points of Entry, the book that you're holding in the photograph on your website, mm-hmm. Vic Satsowich, a sociology professor at McMaster University in That's Hamilton. Right. He writes in the Globe and Mail that while you correctly take from his book that Canadian visa officers conduct very few face-to-face interviews and that they're under pressure to meet processing targets, professor also writes that it seems to him that you want to return to the fairly recent past when personal suitability to enter Canada was based on interviews with visa officers. He also writes, and I quote, even if it were practical to screen for Canadian values, coming up with a universal set of our nation's values would be impossible. What do you say to that? I, I disagree, you know, and I recognize that you may have a difference of opinion, but two-thirds of Canadians agree with me. Two-thirds of Canadians agree that we should be conducting face-to-face interviews at the border and that we should be screening for Canadian values. And and for me, that's important. You know, I'm out talking to people on Main Street. Um, I'm not allowing the, the elites out there, individuals who think they know best for Canadians, to tell myself and my campaign what we should be focused on. We're focused on what Canadians want us to be focused on, what Canadians are concerned about. And I'm not backing down or changing my mind, no matter what happens uh, over the course of this campaign. You know, I uh, I don't see why it would be an issue even that there should be a face-to-face interview. I mean, it's just common sense. It's completely common sense. And I, I have found it mildly amusing listening to people, including every other person in this leadership race, except potentially uh, Stephen Blaney, who seem to have the opposing view than myself. You know, whether it be, as I say, the Senate Standing Committee or... 
um, what I've read from uh, the professor in Hamilton is that these face-to-face interviews are valuable, and uh, I think screening for Canadian values is very important. So, 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 so if, we're, if we're talking about then face-to-face screening mm-hmm. of uh, would-be immigrants or, or refugee claimants or I suppose even visitors, it's oh, the con- permanent residency. I'm sorry. I said just before their permanent residency, okay. before they are granted that. All right. Um, what are specifically the Canadian values? Because that's going to be the core of whatever's discussed going forward. What's yeah. the core of the Canadian values as you as you would present well, them to newcomers? <laughs> well, what I've been talking about and, and uh, what I believe is that our country was founded on a set of values. And those values are equality of opportunity, hard work, and generosity. We know that Canadians... Uh, are exceptionally generous, but also freedom and tolerance. And those values are what really make us Canadian. And I I believe there's a reason why individuals, and you and I have spoken about this before, why individuals choose this place, why we are the beacon of hope for the world, because we have a value set that is the envy of the world. Well, in my mind then, why aren't we protecting it? And I think doing face-to-face interviews at the border Screening for Canadian values is extremely important in that step of making sure we're protecting our Canadian values. It's been inferred by some of your opponents that it may be racist. Well, look, I think that the the left always wants to go there. They want to say that uh, you're a racist or they have a veiled threat or, in the case of the last few days, a real threat for myself. But because you have a strong belief in what Canada is and what our value set is doesn't make me racist, doesn't make my conservative colleagues racist. Um, I'm not against immigration. I'm, I'm not a racist. My colleagues are, are not against immigration. But what we do want is we want to protect what Canada is about. And that's why Canada is the place that it is. We, we built this country on a value set. And as I say, I think it's worth protecting. And I think the steps to do that one of the main steps is making sure that each person who's immigrating into this country has a face-to-face interview and that we are screening for those values at the border. And, you know, people are out there also talking about um, me congratulating Mr. Trump. You mentioned that earlier in the no, program. I was going to ask, I was going to ask is, you about that next. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I, I find it interesting. You know, we hear about the great controversy of me congratulating him and that I plan to work with him in the future. And then on the other hand, everyone's saying, oh, how... It's going to be so hard to work with this guy. How are we going to work with this guy? You know, I'd like to, you know, sort of ask you, Roy, you know, Mr. Trudeau right now, our prime minister, is opposing views to Mr. Trump on, on climate change, on his position on the budgets, on budgetary matters, on screening, on our commitment to NATO. Um, I think, um, and I recognize some Canadians have had reservations. I have some reservations, but I have to put my personal feelings aside. And we have to work together. And I have a great platform to be able to do exactly that, to work with the president-elect, the future president of the United States of America, whether that be on screening, on budgetary matters, on making sure that we have a a strong Canadian Armed Forces that can work with Americans. I have that common platform, and I will have a strong working relationship with, uh, with President Trump to make sure that Canadians can economically prosper, to make sure that Canadians have a safe and secure country. And I'm looking forward to having that relationship when I win uh, and beat and defeat Justin Trudeau in 2019. You know, I uh, I find it interesting that uh, our current prime minister can speak to the New York Times. And he can say Canada has no core identity. And he can say Canada is the first post-nation state. Nobody's up in arms. Except maybe me. Maybe me. I am too. Okay. <laughs> I am too. I, 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 I shake my head and I say... This is the prime minister of this country who forgot to wear a poppy to Parliament. We don't want to forget right. about that. But uh, he, he's, well, we have no core identity. I don't know what that means, Dr. Leach. Well, what does it mean to you? I, well, what, it, what it's saying to me is that this is a prime minister who's not a prime minister of Canada. He's running to be prime minister of the United Nations. You know, I'm running to be prime minister of this country, of Canada. And I believe strongly that we have a unified Canadian identity. I believe that Canadians are proud of what they are and that they share a value set. And that value set that we talked about before, of working hard and being generous, freedom and tolerance, that's what we're about. And I believe strongly in it, and I'm going to protect it. You know, unlike our current prime minister, who obviously has a different job in mind for himself in the future, 
I'm about making sure Canadians are successful and prosperous, and that we have a shared vision together for the future. And I'm looking forward to defeating Justin Trudeau in 2019, because I know Canadians will support and rally behind a person that's about Canada and supporting Canada's values, not someone who's out uh, gallivanting around the world, giving out billions of dollars for global climate change, um, and not paying attention to what's needed at home and making sure that Canada is stronger and stronger for the future. One of the reasons, I won't keep you much longer, I know you came out of an event to talk to me, I appreciate that. Um, One of the reasons, or maybe the core reason that Donald Trump was elected, and it's most fundamental, is that there is an international movement underway, and it's been underway for a number of years, and we've been talking about it on this show for at least three or four, four years. We saw it in Brexit, we saw it in, uh, in, uh, in the United States over the last several days and leading up to it. I mean, I predicted a Donald Trump victory in, in February of this past year. Not, not that he did, I mean, he said things that, that, that I found really objectionable, but I, I, I just knew the guy was going to win because there's this underlying fatigue among millions and millions and millions and millions of people with being told what to do and what to think by political and media elites. And when people say, look, it's just, you know, it's whites who are voting for Trump. There were millions of whites who voted for Trump in 2016 who voted for Barack Obama in 2012 and 2008. It's not about race. It's about, at least from my perspective, it's about fatigue with being told what to do by people who assume they are our betters. Oh, look, I completely agree with you. I think what it is is, you know, these, as you say, these political and media elites think they know what's best for everyone, that they know best. Well, I can tell you what I'm hearing on Main Street Canada is, is the same. And there is this gulf between those media elites and those political elites and what Main Street Canada is talking about. Evidence alone, um, what has happened this week on my own campaign, where we see these attacks taking place, and now um, even this this threat to myself, to my being, um, and what I'm talking about. You know, two-thirds of Canadians are with me. Two-thirds of Canadians completely agree that we should be screening for Canadian values at the border and having face-to-face interviews. Well, those other candidates in this race uh, for our Conservative leadership and our Prime Minister, in my opinion, are just out of touch. And I think that like in the United States, I'm going to be that voice of the two-thirds of Canadians that are being drowned out by the elite media. You know, two-thirds of Canadians are not deplorables. Two-thirds of Canadians understand and want to make sure we have a safe, secure country and that we have a prosperous, economically prosperous country. And I'm going to do everything I possibly can to be a strong voice for them and not back down. Well, uh, I, I absolutely agree that people should be... Uh Newcomers to Canada, immigrants, refugees, claimants who want to, uh, you know, before they become citizens and, and uh, in some cases visitors, should have a face-to-face uh, meeting with, a, with an immigration officer. I don't know whether I would necessarily, because I don't know exactly what it is that you're, you're saying about mm-hmm. what the Canadian values are. You and I may disagree on content, but not on principle. And, uh, and, and you're leading, as far as contributions are concerned, to your campaign, you have more contributions than any of your your opponents of the Conservative Party of Canada. We'll see where this all goes, and uh, <laughs> it's it's very unfortunate that you would have to have you know not have to have, but that you had a personal threat and then an attempted break in at your home. Um, yeah, that's well, you know it's just it, so wrong. These, these things happen, but you know uh, I'll uh, we'll we'll beef up our security and we'll take some appropriate actions, and I'll be back on the campaign trail tomorrow, making sure that. Uh, I can be a strong voice for those folks out there that uh, that want this change. All right, Dr. Leach, thanks for talking to us again. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Dr. Kelly Leach, Conservative Party of Canada leadership candidate and Canadian values. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. I want to go to Jeffrey in Vaughan, Ontario, because Jeffrey has an opposing view of Dr. Leach. Jeffrey, thank you for the call, sir. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I just want to say I, I oppose it because it's too vague. It reminds me of the referendum in Quebec where the separatists were telling people to vote for sovereignty association, but it had no meaning, and we almost split the country up for this. I need concrete, actual concrete statements of what she calls Canadian values. It is kind of weak. It is kind of it weak. Is, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I don't know of anybody who would answer no, regardless of where you were going. Well, no, nobody in Canada. I would argue no. I would argue no. I can't. I can't agree with that. I, I don't. I don't think anybody would. But do you agree with the idea? Or the? Well, it's not an idea. It was done for many years, and then they stopped doing it because in, immigration numbers increased, and it was more difficult for immigration um, uh, officers to talk to everybody. So what the, the government's solution was? Well, we'll only talk to a few people. It's just stupid bureaucracy at work again. But uh, do you agree with the principle of people being of newcomers, anybody who's, who, I think it's 1.3 million people apply to enter Canada annually, that if you're on a short list, you should be um, dealing with a, in a face-to-face conversation with an uh, immigration officer. Do you agree with that? I do, and I just, I just don't understand part of this because I don't know how anybody gets into the country, me, myself included, was born here, goes out, returns. I don't understand how anybody doesn't go in front of an officer at some point. It could be the final point. They could have their provisional uh, acceptance to come in, but they always go in front of somebody to get in. And, and That's a customs officer. It's yes, somewhat different. Customs officer, That's which to different. me is somewhat immigration, but yeah. it could there could be a differentiation. Okay, Jeffrey, thank you for the call, sir. Appreciate it. Let's go to Calgary, Alberta, and Teresa. Hi, Hi well, Teresa. Thank you for calling. You're welcome. Well, for the benefit of that other... First caller, previous caller there, uh, what does Kelly Leach by, mean by uh, Canadian values? Well, Sharia law is not conducive. No, no, no. Let's, uh, yeah. let's de- let, I, I want to deal with the issue before us, and that is Canadian values. And Kelly Leach, Teresa, mm-hmm. running for the prime minister's job in this country, and that's the only platform we know of, at least I know of, for Dr. Leach at this point. So let's deal with that. How does that is that enough of a resonance? Is there enough of a resonance there for you? Well, I, I think so because I mean she wouldn't be my first choice. She would be my second. But who's you know, your first choice? People uh, coming in like Bilal Phillips, his imam. They're coming into this country and they're saying that non-Christians are no better than cattle. Uh, no, no, li- you know, Teresa. Canadian values is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So this is what I'm asking you again. I know there are points you want to make. And we've, you and I have talked on the air before. Let's stick with what... Who's your first choice? If it's not Kelly Leach, who's your first choice? You said she's your Andrew second. Andrew Shear, because uh, of economic issues. Who is? Andrew Shear. Andrew Shear. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a guy from Quebec. Mm-hmm. Well, Maxime Bernier... That's good, the guy I'm thinking about yeah, good, good so far. But, thank you for the call, Teresa, I would not discount Kelly Leach's chances at all. There is a national movement, international movement, a national movement. There's a movement throughout the Western world, and it's taking shape. That's why Donald Trump is the uh, president-elect of the United States of America. Craig is in Windsor, Ontario. Uh, Craig, we spoke yesterday with uh, Eddie Cadry. He's an immigration lawyer in Windsor, and he was telling us about the numbers of Americans who are contacting him or who want to enter Canada just to get away from Donald Trump. Oh, hello, Roy. Yes, uh, sir. Yeah, it's good to hear from you because I've been in Windsor for, moved from London uh, two years ago, and I haven't been able to get you down here. Uh, I used to get you on AM 90, and yeah. I'm so glad that I discovered I can get you on the Internet again. Well, here we so are. I you for two years. Thank you. <laughs> well, I appreciate you finding us again, Craig. Yeah. Yeah, we, are, we are online, everybody. You can listen online anytime. I'm a little slow to catch on, but it's worth it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'm, I'm in my late 50s, and uh, just laid a wreath with my parents at the Cenotaph in Kingsville uh, the other day for Remembrance Day. My mother and dad were both in their RCF in World War II, and I'm of that generation in, in their late 50s who's most people my age did have parents that fought in World War II. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Highly decorated. My dad was a gunner on a Liberator bomber. Oh, that's a tough, that okay. was a tough job. That was a tough one. He was on the bottom turret. He was strapped to the bottom. Oh, my goodness. So uh, he went, and he was in the whole war from 39 to 45 and went back for Korea. And he was 22 when World War II ended. Nowadays, there's kids, people 32, that are still living in their parents' basement. So that's one of the big cultural things. A lot of things have changed. A lot of things have changed. A lot of things have changed. So when you hear Dr. Uh, Leach, what do you hear? I, I hear the sound, like I've heard in my little small town, I hear the sound of... 30 years of repression 
coming off of my back. I'm a lifelong truck driver, tour bus driver. I've spent a lot of time in the States. And I have, I'm only high school educated. But I can tell you for 30 years, whenever I've had college students that happen to be on board, the stuff, the crap that I've had to hear from them about what the professors have taught them, about how Western European white males are the, 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 the are, are responsible for all the problems in the world, that they're, they're the enemy. I mean, I, I cannot tell you, Roy, how saturated the... the, the well, this is a this is the reason for a lot of at least at least some of it, maybe a lot of it, uh, of the pushback, There's and pushback. and it's 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 happening. There's no there's no way it can be not denied. You look at what happened on Tuesday in the United States. It speaks to a pushback by by a population that says we've had enough. And what and then yeah. they say then they look and say what are our options? And if there's well, a narrow choice of options, then. There's a, a, a narrow choice of options. This is why I've been saying as well, we need to have open discussion, open dialogue, open conversation with each other, not be afraid to talk about things, and then we'll find more and more common ground, and there may be more opportunities to hear from, you know, to choose from candidates who offer a, a more broad uh, perspective to choose from. But right now it's going to be, right now it's going to be, Craig, it's going to be left or right. That's the way it's going to be. Or it'll, I'm sorry, I, no, no, I'm wrong. It'll be okay. defined as left or right. Could I make one suggestion, one choice? For yes, sir. If she wants to do a, a, some kind of, uh, somebody said, well, how can you put that in concrete terms? How could you ask a question, what, what are Canadian values, and put it in concrete terms? I can think of one that she could put in concrete terms as a question, not as a statement. This is unbelievable that I even have to say this. This is not just about Canadian values. Okay, go ahead, Craig. What is it? it it's well, about Western values. I would ask the question um, to a new immigrant coming to this country. I'd ask them one question. Do you believe in punishment or the death penalty for someone in, in a country that wants to change their religion? I would ask... Oh, so them, you're... But hold on now. So you're aiming only at Muslims. No. Why would you think that's Muslims? What made you think that was about Muslims? Well, why, why wouldn't I think about that? Because I know that's because what you're thinking about. the only really... That, that, no, no, no. That's, that's uh, Craig, come on. I didn't. Religion. Craig, I didn't fall off the tree. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know that's what you're. I know that was your. Because I want to ask you this. What do you do? You ask the same question of someone. It's a legitimate question here. Do you ask the same question of someone who's emigrating from Germany or from Absolutely. Australia or New Zealand? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd ask that question. Why is it? Why would that be relevant? Why would that be relevant for somebody? I mean, you, you, you're, you're, Craig. Come on. You're focusing on one particular group of people. No, I'm focusing, Roy, on democracy. I'm focusing on what, killed, what people fear the most. And I don't think people should be allowed into a Western country that believes that change, someone changing their religion are liable for the death penalty under that religion's code. All right, I Craig, I hear you. Muslims the best, but I'm telling you, the two-thirds don't of the get people angry, that Craig. Is, is talking about, that is something that Craig, they cannot believe is changing Canada. Craig, don't get angry. That's what people are doing right, now. Not, They're I'm getting angry. Firm, Roy. I'm being firm. I agree okay. with you. I've been listening to you for 10 years. Well, I appreciate I that. And I hope I haven't chased you away today, but I thank you for the call, Craig. Yeah, you can find us online at the Roy Green Show. It's, uh, no, that's our Twitter, but you can find us online. Just go to RoyGreenShow.com and uh, log on to any of the radio stations there, and you can, you can listen to the show online. We have to have open conversations and dialogue with each other. Remember, we, I read you the email from Trish a couple of weeks ago when she, she wrote, I guess I must be a deplorable racist. She wrote about not being comfortable in her own community anymore because newcomers to the community don't talk to her, have nothing to do with her, and she was, she's going to move to a small prairie town so she can feel part of the community. I could have just hidden that email away. and uh, It's actually a posting to my webpage. I could have just hidden it away and not talked about it, but that would have been wrong. And so I did talk about it. We did open the phone lines, and we had incredible calls. And a good percentage of them were from people who agreed with Trish, who were first-generation kids of newcomers to Canada from the group she identified more than less. We have to talk to each other. Can't be afraid of that. Can't be afraid of talking to each other. We've devolved into a world of political correctness where, where people have become so intimidated to talk to each other, and then we just get mad as hell at one another. That, that accomplishes nothing.
Anthony's in Calgary. Hey, Anthony, thanks for the call, sir. How you doing? How are you? I'm doing great, sir. Thank you so much for asking. Mr. Green, I'm a fan of yours, but i got to admit to you, I'm somewhat of a liberal. That's okay. And to be honest with you, why are we giving this woman a platform? Because she's running for the leadership of the Conservative Party, and if she wins, she becomes the Prime Minister of Canada, and because it's an issue that people are thinking about and talking about. And because it... because it, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I've given you enough of a reason from my perspective. No, I understand that, but what... What we're doing is exactly what the Americans just went through. Well, they didn't. They what did What did they go through, Anthony? Anthony, what did they go through? Oh, basically, given this woman, I uh, sorry, given this guy, Donald Trump, two billion dollars worth of free advertisement, and they thought it was just going to be a joke. Anthony, but, it was an election. Yes, but he worked on the, basically on the fears of the people. He, it was an election. But he worked on the fears of the people. But it was an election. Okay. Well, you know what? A good friend of mine texted me the other night, and he said, what the F? And I said, you know what? Be careful what you ask for. We got Notley. Let's see what happens with him. It was an election where people had a free choice in a democratic nation to choose who their president's going to be, and they chose Donald Trump. Okay. I'll tell you a little thing about me. I am originally from Lebanon. I came here in 1977. And basically, number one, I'm Canadian. Number two, I'm Lebanese. And I understand what the Syrians are going through. If you look at Lebanon, we have one, like 1.5 sorry, million people, uh, refugees there. And you know what? It's, we have to actually basically take people in. It was an election. Donald Trump was elected. He will now, yeah. he will now engage in policies in the United States, and it, he will overturn many of Barack Obama's, and because that's partly at least due to the fact that the, the former president or the outgoing president used his pen for executive orders instead of going through the Senate and through the House and getting bills passed. So when you uh, when you live by the pen, you die by the pen. You know. That's, yeah, but, this, but, but this man is saying he's like going to clean out. You know what? He's going to clean out the swamp. This, this, this. But he got elected, people. Anthony. Anthony. But he's going to hire people like Rudy Giuliani. Anthony, he's what? elected. He's got four years. You know, Barack Obama. Uh, a lot of people were angry that Barack Obama became president of the United States in two thousand and eight. It's just, and then reelected in two thousand and twelve. My uh, friend, uh, okay. I got to, I got to run. I appreciate your call, but the reason we're talking about in this country about Kelly Leach is because this is not only going to be. It is an election issue now, and and we're in 2016, and we've got a couple of years to go. Mr. Green, we don't need the divisiveness. No, I'm, that's why we're talking. That's what she's promoting. I'll talk to you again, Anthony. i got to go. Thank you, sir. Okay. I appreciate your call. From Calgary. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML so much to talk about because of Tuesday in the United States and the significance of the U.S. election. Brexit was already... Brexit kicked the chair out from under the the perception that life is going on as it always has. Elections, angry voters, um, arrogant politicians, and the cycle repeats itself and repeats itself and repeats itself. Brexit already kicked that chair out from under... Tuesday's election in the United States kicked the chair down the stairs. It's gone. And there are European elections coming up, and you're going to see some significant action and changes in Europe. It's just the way things are going to be because people are angry. And to respond with anger is not the smart thing. To respond with some degree of dialogue and Understanding things have to get done, and the United States election isn't going to get suddenly disappear because people are marching in the streets, some destroying things. There was anger after Barack Obama was elected in 2012, by re-elected by those who opposed him. And as we talked about yesterday, there were a million people in, in Washington. There was a million people there opposing the re-election of Barack Obama. That wasn't any violence. It's going to be a left versus right thing, and but it's not really left versus right. 
There's enough talk about this. And unfortunately, too many people who are talking about it don't know anything about it. I know I sound like a... Yeah, you fill it in. But I, I, I work hard on this stuff, and I pay attention to what's going on, and it matters to me. Because I, I really think that young people have... I mean, this is their world, and they need, they need to um, take stewardship of it. But I want to read this to you. And it's something that I wrote, I put on my website on Thursday, I think. And I'm, I'm doing this because Anthony called from Calgary, and I appreciated his call. I just wanted to say something to Anthony. He said, you know, he came from, to Canada from Lebanon, and we all define ourselves a certain way. And I came to Canada as a kid from Europe when I was 13 years of age. And he's Canadian first and Lebanese second, and I've always just considered myself Canadian. But we all define ourselves a certain way, and I know that being Canadian is tremendously important to Anthony. But he didn't like the idea of the election of Donald Trump, and then we had other callers, I think it was Craig, right, who really felt it was the best thing for the United States. So what I wrote was this. I first predicted the Donald Trump win in February of this year. At the time, the prediction was largely dealing with the GOP primaries, but I did add the November election, so it's likely Trump win territory. That had zero to do with being a fan of Donald Trump. At the time, I was inclined to support Jeb Bush for the Republican primaries. My prediction had everything to do with Donald Trump being a recognizable face and persona for the populist movement which has been stalking the edges of national elections and international citizen activity increasingly for at least three years and perhaps longer. A populist movement predicated on shared fatigue by people of all racial, ethnic, religious, gender, and linguistic backgrounds. Shared fatigue for the misspending of massive amounts of taxpayer monies by political elites who made and broke promises based on election cycles as predictably as winter follows autumn on the seasonal cycle. There was, though, no one to follow. No one with a massive profile and sufficient self-funding combined with an ego-skirting narcissism which allowed that person to directly and frontally assault the power brokers. Enter Donald Trump, exit Jeb Bush. And over a period of weeks, the rest of the GOP would be presidents of the United States. On the Democrat side of the contest, the reverse proved true. Representing the power brokers won Hillary Rodham Clinton, once U.S. First Lady, New York Senator, and American Secretary of State. Representing the movement, Bernie Sanders, former mayor of Burlington, Vermont, and longtime senator from the Green Mountain State. Mismatch. Except Bernie looking like cranky great-grandpa, wagging bony finger while croaking political revolution, began to fill arenas across the United States as younger and younger voters felt the burn. Meanwhile, HRC drew flies at her rallies, and without superdelegates to stack the deck at the DNC convention, cranky Bernie may well have dislodged Hillary as Democratic Party general election standard bearer. We were to find the DNC, in cooperation with the Clinton campaign, turned Bernie into a Julius Caesar Ides of March lookalike. In other words, stabbed in the back by his supposed friends and allies. The remainder of the script played itself out as I predicted Trump won, not just the White House, but also retained the Senate and the House. Sure, there are protests on the streets of America, and certainly Donald Trump made statements which, without the presence of the movement, would most likely have disqualified him during the final campaigns for POTUS. Clinton was hardly without sin, a caught red-handed liar, a woman who happily compromised the security of the United States, and a candidate who, with her husband, the impeached former POTUS Bill Clinton, now finds their charitable Clinton Foundation under federal police scrutiny. But distractions of any kind aside, there was the movement, and the movement was not to be denied. The movement drew under the same tent disparate individuals and groups who and which under previous circumstance would never have agreed to share space, let alone political objective. Now it will be the United States President Donald Trump, Vice President Mike Pence, a Senate and a Republican majority, and a House also with a Republican majority. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. I first spoke with uh, Phil McAleer shortly after he had uh, confronted Al Gore 
at what Mr. Gore was, uh, well, I guess they described it as a news conference, and uh, Phelan was there. He's a, uh, an Irish filmmaker for Northern Ireland. And uh, he'd confronted Mr. Gore and, and wasn't supposed to. I guess, Phelan, we can just talk about this really quickly. And good to talk to you again. It's been a long time. Yes, Roy, it's good, good to talk to you, yes. Just, How just, are you? Good, good. And you? Excellent, excellent. You yeah. survived North Dakota. Um, t- tell, just yeah. tell us, it's been about 30 seconds. Remind us of what happened when you uh, confronted Gore. Well, it was the, the Society of Environmental Journalists had a, a Q&A with Mr. Gore. So uh, I went and asked some uh, cues and didn't get any A's. And uh, I pushed him on, on a particular topic, the, his movie, you know, An Inconvenient Truth. Now, the High Court in Britain had said there were nine significant errors in it. And that was a judge after examining it. And uh, I asked him, was he going to, you know, appeal the judgment or issue corrections? He wouldn't answer me. And then, instead of my fellow journalists pushing him to answer, they cut off my microphone. They cut you off. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. And there was Mr. Gore, who was supposed to answer questions. And when you asked him a better, two um, well, very relevant questions... You're the one who was cut off. Uh, First-person story in the New York Post, I was assaulted by peaceful pipeline protesters. And uh, so you went to North Dakota to witness the anti-pipeline protest. And at first, um, uh, well, first of all, what took you there? And uh, why did you take your crew there? Well, I mean, we have a frack nation. I did a documentary called Frack Nation about fracking, the truth about fracking. We have a Frack Nation Facebook page that is very, very, very active. And I think it's active because I don't block anyone or, or try and not block anyone except to use bad language or, or go crazy. And, you know, it's, it's a very good place to go and debate fracking and find the truth about fracking. So they're all, we're always looking for new material. I'm also thinking, always looking for new documentaries, new thing, you know, possibilities of new subjects. So I went there to, do, to find out the truth about these pipeline protests. And boy, did I find out the truth. What happened? Walk us through the experience. Well, I went the first day, it was a Monday, and met all the leadership on, on this camp, which is a kind of an illegal camp on federal government land, although the government hasn't told them to leave. Um, and I met them. A lot of them, had, you know, they were Native Americans. A lot of them had been to Belfast. I actually met the Sinn Féin leaders. I used to work in Belfast. I knew a lot of people they knew. We had a great time. I covered a protest on a bridge, they blocked a bridge, I covered a protest outside a courthouse, they protested outside a courthouse, you know, great stuff. Then the next day I went back and I said, well, you know, I've done, I've covered the good stuff, now let's ask some difficult questions, you know. So, they're all there protesting oil, uh, a lot of them, uh, you know, keep it in the ground, is this new thing, you got to not take oil out of the ground. And uh, I uh, said to them, look, where are you from? And most of them actually weren't from North Dakota, they were out of the state. And I said, you know, um, how did you get here? They came in trucks or cars. I said, look, you're coming in an oil-propelled vehicle to protest oil. Uh, how do you square that circle? And I'm, I'm looking around. You're living in a tent, which is made of plastic, which is an oil-based product. Isn't that a bit hypocritical? Um, you know, some of them answered me not very well. Some of them walked away. Some said capitalism made them do it. They were innocent. You know, you know it's various different answers. But it got more and more hostile, and eventually someone came up, grabbed my microphone, dragged me across the field, uh, assaulted me. We then decided it's time to time to leave. This is getting a little bit dodgy. We went to our car. We went to the drive off through the field. Suddenly we were surrounded by three cars, two in front, one behind, right up against us. We couldn't move, and the protesters started banging on the windows, shaking the car demanding our equipment, demanding we get out of the car, demanding our footage, saying they're going to delete our footage, saying they couldn't be responsible for what happened if we got out of the car, if we didn't get out of the car. It just got more and more angry and more and more aggressive and more and more dangerous. And uh, they uh, said something to you along the lines, if you don't get out, uh, don't give us what we want, we won't be responsible for what happens. Yep. Uh, I will slash your tires, you know. Um, then they arrived with sticks and dogs. And I was trying to phone the police, but it was in the middle of North Dakota. And two things, I didn't know exactly where I was. You know, I, you know, I was trying to describe them where I was, and it was very difficult. Then uh, also, it was rural North Dakota. The cell phone signals kept dropping out. And uh, it, it was really, really uh, nerve-wracking and scary. I, we were honestly scared for our lives. 
Uh, people can see the video of it if they go to the Fact Nation Facebook page. Okay, I will, I will do that. I, I mean, I've been to North Dakota. I was there in, in the wintertime years ago, and uh, it is, it's very, uh, very isolated. I mean, once you're out of Fargo, it's very, uh, very rural. So you were, here you were, you were uh, hemmed in, and you were being threatened, and you're calling 911, and the signal is, is weak, and eventually, but didn't they, weren't you told, the, don't, don't call the police, they're not going to come anyway? Yeah, well, the, the police so far have not been in the, the encampment. So the encampment's off the road. The police have not come in. And they said, the police don't come down here. There's a no-go zone for the police. Um, you know, so that was added a level of drama to it as well. So, um, um, it, you know, and the police came, and six or seven, they had air support. They also had a SWAT team wow. on its way. But things were getting really difficult. So the police came, six or seven police cars, and uh, as a police officer, and you'll see this at the press conference, the police officer said, you know, there were about 12 of us, there were at least 40 protesters wearing masks around the car. We would have went in, uh, but we would have been outnumbered. So what they did was, over a, over a loud hailer, warned the protesters to let us go that this was false imprisonment. And they had to do it six or seven times, and eventually we were let go. Eventually. Uh, but it was very, very nerve-wracking. And every report that I read, Phelan, uh, other than your story, which was in the New York Post, um, and I saw it online on nypost.com, uh, they all suggest, all the reporters, I guess they're not there, haven't been there, they say it's a nice, peaceful place. Oh, yeah, love and peace and prayer and, you know, all that nice stuff. And let me tell you, you know, maybe maybe those reporters see that, but they, that's because they don't ask difficult questions. Look, it's it's very easy to go there and be a stenographer and just repeat what they tell you. But if you want to go there as a journalist and ask them difficult questions, yeah, you also much love and peace. You, you also that's, wrote that the pipeline that's being objected to isn't forging new territory; it's actually following the path of an existing pipeline. Yes, surprisingly. Um, these evil capitalists uh, don't like spending money when they don't have to. So if you've got an existing pipeline route or a new pipeline route, why wouldn't you go the existing pipeline route? Um, you know, why reinvent the wheel? So they're going, it's going mostly along an existing pipeline route because that's cheaper, that's handier, they've got all the permissions, any archaeological finds have been found. You know, the idea that they're going to discover something new, none. So you were you and your crew were very much afraid, and maybe afraid for your life. Um, and it required a police and a helicopter and a SWAT team on the way to get you out of there. Yeah. That's yeah, that's pretty that's pretty scary stuff. I mean, you grew up in uh, in, in Belfast in Northern Ireland at the yeah. during I the difficult there. times. I, I grew up outside Belfast. I worked there for ten years during the uh, during the troubles. Right, and uh, you know I had one, I wanted to really dodge incidents, but this was right up there with them. This was the most scared I think I've ever been as a journalist. You know, this was up there. Well, I'm going to have a look. It's Frack Nation uh, uh, on Facebook. Frack Nation on Facebook in the video of what happened. Uh, Phelan McAleer yeah. is there. It's P-H-E-L-I-M-M-C-A-L-L-E-R. Phelan, good to talk to you again, and uh, we'll try to make it not a little more frequent than every six yes, or seven Roy, years. Yes, that would be great. That would all be right. great. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Roy. All the best. Glad you're safe. Phila McAleer, um, Frack Nation. I just I read, so I read the account in the New York Post, and uh, the headline, if you want to look at for this for the story, is "I was assaulted by peaceful pipeline protesters." You're listening to the Roy Green Show, weekends from two to five on AM 900 CHML. There isn't anybody listening to this program who doesn't have an acquaintance with uh, with cancer, with the uh, this dreaded dreaded illness. There isn't anybody, whether it's uh, you yourself, whether it's somebody you love, whether it's friends, someone you know, everyone has had or has a contact or will have a contact of some kind with cancer. So earlier um, this week, early, very early in the week, I received an email from um, Mike Massotti, and, uh, and, and, and Mike is, is uh, the father of Justin, 17 years of age, from Hamilton, Ontario. And, um, and when I 
when I read um, when I read Mike's email, it was just heartbreaking. And then it became hopeful, and and then the huge responsibility that's involved for for Mike and his family and for Justin, and the challenges they're facing, uh, became very clear to me as I was reading more and more about from Mike about Justin and what they're facing and and then I and then I saw what it's costing them and and I immediately started to think about Mayor Hector McMillan from Trent Hills who also had pancreatic cancer and Ontario government wasn't going to pay for anything for him for the IRE nano knife surgery and outside of Canada it wasn't available to him here but no, they weren't going to pay for it anywhere else because they said it was experimental when it isn't. So he went to Germany. He had it done there. When he could have gone to Kentucky had the Ontario government decided to help. They didn't even bother to help with what was going on in Germany. So Michael Masati joins me from Tijuana, Mexico, along with his 17-year-old son, Justin. Hi, Justin. Hello. Hi, Roy. It's good to talk to you. Great to be on. Yeah. And Mike, thank you for making me and thank you for making uh, particularly the the folks in the city of Hamilton and the 900 CHML aware of um, of what's going on in, in your family. And uh, I, I really hope that, you know, we have listeners across Canada on the network. And I, I hope and I'm sure that people across this country are going to step up for you and your family once they hear more about about your story. Thank you so much for sharing what is just a an unjust situation, but things are looking better uh, in in Mexico. Good to talk to you, Mike. I'm sorry, I'm not going to sort of babbling a bit here because it's a no, it's difficult. I, I'm so I'm I'm honored to talk to you, Mike. Oh, it's an honor to be on your program. Talk to us about about the year you've had, and you, your family, and for Justin particularly. Uh, beginning with the, with the diagnosis, tell us how it how it all began and 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 how it happened that you and, and Justin are in uh, are in Tijuana, Mexico. Yeah, Justin, uh, back in November of 2015, Justin was getting severe migraines. Um, he treated them as headaches. They would get better. By the time uh, the Christmas season rolled around, it was it was very bad. We, um, we went to the Hamilton General Hospital. Um, he had a CAT scan. We didn't find anything. We, the next day, January, uh, December 31st, we went to the, we had an MRI. And Justin and the MRI found what they believed was blood clots. So we were thrilled that, um, as bad as blood clots are, we were thrilled that it wasn't uh, brain cancer because it could be treated. Um, a week later, he uh, a week later he wasn't getting any better. They did another MRI, and they didn't see any blood clots, so the doctors were confused. Um, by the end of January, they did a biopsy and they found the cancer, and of course we were devastated. Um, for the next uh, three or four months. We used an alternative therapy that we found from a holistic doctor, which stabilized Justin, but he didn't get any better. In June, Justin suffered two major seizures and lost his eyesight. Um, at that point, uh, he was bedridden, and it, again, he was suffering one or two seizures a day. Oh. And, and he was at home with us, and we were, I was at home, and I was, I've been off work since uh, January, but uh, so I was with him every day. Uh, come uh, August, he suffered another bad seizure. We went to McMaster Hospital, and we were there till the end of September. Um, his condition got worse. He went down to about, he lost about 40 pounds. He's down to 120 pounds. He's not um, doing well. Um, we looked for an alternative. We found the Mexican clinic because it was one that had seven by twenty-four chair. And here we are. We came down here on October the third uh, of this year. So, 
And we're going to talk about the cost and and uh, that mm-hmm. your family's incurred and what you're asking the Ontario government to do to assist, um, which they should be doing because it's the humane thing to do and you're taxpayers and you count on this healthcare system to contribute to returning people to health. Justin, um, you're up on your feet again, right? You're, uh, you're doing, you're, you're, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling very good now. I can balance, I can walk a little better. I still need a little assistance, but huge improvement from when I was back in Canada. Yeah, so you're, 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 you're more optimistic, you're, you're, uh, you you are able to to get up and 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 move around and 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 things yeah. things that you're you're you know I... yeah I'm so pleased to hear that uh, Mike when when yeah. Justin was diagnosed what treatment options uh, were were offered what did they say to you could be done anything they told us he wasn't going to survive they said that it was inoperable they uh, uh, Radiation wasn't an option. Surgery wasn't an option. Chemo was the chemotherapy was the option, but they were very clear that he wouldn't survive, and he maybe had a few months um, to live. And they expected us to start chemo so he could at least make it to maybe the summertime so we could graduate. And clearly, he he did that. He made that. And that was that. You, did did you have the chemo uh, done? Oh, no, we did. We rejected the chemo. Justin made the decision, and, and as well as the family, because uh, we didn't feel um, the chemo was going to work, and it would just make his health worse based on we did some research after the diagnosis. Yeah. So we went with an alternative therapy um, that seemed to stabilize him for a few months, and, 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 and actually used that therapy here along with 15 other treatments that he's receiving down here. Uh, so, that one therapy did help a bit for four months. So tell us, please, what does a, what does a weekly treatment, because it's, tell us how much it costs a week in, at the clinic, please. The clinic is $13,000 a week. It's about $13,700 a week. It's $10,000 American. $10,000 American per week. Right. And you've been there for... Six weeks. Six weeks. Plus, there was the cost of the air ambulance, which was considerable. 40000 Canadian. So your total cost so far is almost $136,000. That's correct. But it's your son. And we'll be here for another at least um, four to six weeks uh, continuing treatment. And you have a finite amount of money available to you. I mean, let's put, let's let's just put it out there. You have a finite amount of money available to you, and you're asking the Ontario government to step up and provide some financial assistance for your son who's doing better with the treatment that he's receiving in Mexico, in Tijuana. So how much money do you have left? Uh, we have a $200,000 line of credit. My wife is working on increasing that. And so, uh, once yeah, once the money runs out... Um, I would have to bring Justin home, and I'm basically bringing him home to die because there isn't an available that they have that they have here in Canada. Mike, uh, please tell us what the uh, what what does the treatment consist of? It's there's DMSO, but how does it work, and what are they doing for Justin that is that is helping him? How does it work? Oh, so so much. Uh, just the fact when we first came here and the condition he was in, I mean, they they said we can help him. There was no guarantees, but that was the first time we actually heard anybody say that. Um, he's receiving, from day one, he started receiving up to 15 treatments um, a day. This includes the DMSO. Um, this also includes uh, various oxygen, um, light therapies, magnetic therapies, IV therapies, stem cell, that kind of thing. So he gets those every day. takes maybe three or four hours a day to to deliver the treatment. Um, within a couple weeks, he actually started improving. His weight, after a couple weeks, went up to 140 from 120. Wow. And he currently weighs about 160 pounds right now. That's now, amazing. around October the 24th, he actually put him on a chemotherapy uh, tr- uh, treatment. 
there's two chemotherapies that he's getting. It was one. There would have been one offered in Canada, but it's the DMSO that makes the difference. So how does the what does the DMSO do? What what is it? What does it do that that makes it work? Well, uh, yeah, the, my understanding, and I see it at work in front of me with Justin, is that it, it targets the chemotherapy directly to the cancer cells. And then it's with Justin's cancer being in the brain, there's a blood barrier, and the the DMSO is somehow allows the chemo to get through that blood barrier, and it targets the cancer cells and doesn't hit the non-cancer cells the way uh, chemo would on its own. And, and Justin, you did you start to feel better right away? Did you or did you quickly start to feel better? It took a couple weeks to start feeling better, but once I did, it just kept going like little baby steps every day. I was getting a little better. And you feel maybe positive that it was working. Yeah, and you feel a lot better now than you did when you got there. Oh, huge difference now from the beginning. Yeah. Mike, tell us, please, how uh, how can how can people listening to this program across, across Canada on the Chorus Radio Network help? What can we do? Well, but the main thing is the public pressure on the Ontario government. Um, I don't know, write your local MP. Uh, also, the, 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 the site, the GoFundMe site, um, it would, is very important. But people, the people in Justin's network and all over the country, and we've been getting donations through GoFundMe all over the world. It's amazing what, you know, people will help. Yes, they and will. The government needs to understand to start joining us in, in helping Justin. I mean, he's an Ontario citizen. He has the right to be helped. So, we have a health care system where he should be helped. I saw the letter, that, a copy of the letter that you sent to the premier. And, and, yeah. and, and I mean, it's very compelling. And what did, when, when, you, when you applied for assistance from the Ontario government, what did you get back as, as a reply? I got a rejection letter. And I was like, oh, you know, we're so sorry to hear what's happening, but basically, you know, a rejection letter. And they're saying um, there's, there's no... We're there's, not going to help your son. And there's no empirical proof. They're, they're arguing there's no, there's no proof that this works, and so we consider it an experiment, experimental treatment, and so we're not, we're not going to help you. That's right. That's their reason, is experimental treatment. So how does anything ever get... Uh, how do we ever uh, solve problems if we don't, you know... Exactly. You know, you know experiment, but... And that is exactly what they said to Mayor Hector McMillan. Would, if you have an opportunity to speak to, um, to the premier... You never know who's listening, or the health minister, Dr. Hoskins. What would you say to them? Have a, what do you want to say to them, Mike? I, I, well, the first thing I, first thing I would say is, uh, if you, you know, if they have a loved one in that position, what would they do? I mean, would you just say, would you just tell them you're going to die? I mean, do your job as the premier and then the health minister, and do the the moral thing. Do the moral thing. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm tearing up a bit, right? No, I understand. I understand. I do understand. Uh, and and because you're seeing the improvement in your son, I mean, forty pounds or put on twenty pounds of weight, he's on his feet, he's moving again uh, when he wasn't, uh, and and he's feeling better and he's feeling encouraged. I know they will say, well, you know, this, we have to dispense our OHIP money in, according to certain formulas. But when there's an improvement that's obvious, yeah, I'm on. I'm exactly, on and I and and he's receiving so many treatments down here, and so it's not like I can go home and get those treatments at home. They're just not available. They're not available. Yes, that has to be stressed, right? But that's right. I mean, there's. There are alternative doctors in Canada that have DMSO, but it's not the only treatment he's receiving. It's a, you know, there's 15 other treatments. And, I mean, with the condition that Justin was in before we came to Mexico, I would I'd be risking his life transporting him to, to the doctors in Canada to try to get just the DMSO treatment. So it was, you know, I mean, and they also resolved his seizure problem down here. They found the right 
dosage of medications, and he's been uh, he's gone a whole month without a seizure. Yeah. I mean, the doctors work down weird as a team, and they talk, they work together, and they solve problems. So, Mike, what we want our what we want our listeners to do is is to contact their MPP in Ontario, and push 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 the government. For, it's Justin Masati. Push the government, the Ontario government, yeah. to do the right thing. And I want you to also, if you go to Twitter at the Roy Green Show, uh, you'll see the GoFundMe page for the Masatis, and you can go online, Justin Events seven 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 at wixsite.com. That's W I X S I T E. Dot com. There's a fundraiser coming up for Justin in a matter of days on November the 26th. Justin, uh, our prayers are with you, our thoughts are with you, our hopes are with you, and uh, Mike, you too, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to call you guys off the air too, all right? Oh, thank you. Take care. Um, thank you, Ron. Let's, let's, let's hope the Ontario government does what it ought to do. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.